Thank you for joining us on the CFF Podcast. Today, Pastor Pablo Martinez will be inspiring you with a message from the Word of God. We hope you enjoy and welcome home. So I want to share with you a message. Um, it'll be a short message. A couple of weeks ago, or the last week I think it was, today I would be sharing the greatest message I've ever shared. And the reason I say that is because I truly, truly believe that should you receive this word, your life will never, ever be the same. Um, I read something in the scripture that changed my perspective. It changed my mind, my heart uh, about failure and about how we respond to the sin or the mess ups or the broken expectations, the, the broken dreams of our lives. How do you respond when you fall? You could call this the greatest comeback of all time. And I do believe 100% that when the Word of God says something, we have to pay attention. Especially when it repeats it a few times. But I want to read to you out of uh, Proverbs 24, 16. For a righteous man falls seven times. And I said six last service, sorry. So for, if you're not here. But anyway, for a righteous man may fall seven times and rises yet again. But the wicked stumble in time of calamity. And I want to read to you another version that says, Even if good people fall seven times, they will get back up. But when trouble strikes the wicked, that's the end of them. Close your eyes, let's pray. Dear God, I thank you so much for your love and your grace. Your love and your grace. Your love towards us and the grace that you give us to get back up. I ask you, Lord, that today, anyone that hears this voice, if they're going through something, Lord, whether it's sickness financial struggles, ministry troubles, family issues, problems at work, or anyone here, God, that will face any of these or any other, that today, God, you would plant in them the right heart, the right mindset on how to respond when failure strikes, how to respond when sin lurks at their door, and they give in. In your name I pray. Amen and amen. I was reading Forbes magazine a while ago. And in August 8, 2012. Keldon Jensen wrote the following words. The great paradox is that people who enjoy the most public success. Often endure the greatest private failures. However, these leaders understand and even expect that storms will come their way. They also realize that it is how they handle the dark moments that gives them the internal strength to shine during their brightest ones. Isn't it amazing how we think that righteous people don't fall. But the Bible says that when the righteous fall. Another version actually says righteous people fall and then he carries on. What if I said to you or ask you the question, do you believe that righteous people fall? Our tendency in our, our culture, in Christianity especially, is to believe that righteous people are those that don't fall. And yet the Bible tells us that the righteous people are those that fall and stand up again. Your righteousness is not based on your inability to fall, but in your ability to rise again. Somebody please tell somebody next to you, hey, you are really righteous. <laughs> I am really righteous. It is not, it is such a lie from the devil. It is a lie from the enemy to believe, to believe that you don't need to prepare to stand again. You see, we must be prepared 
to never, ever, ever give up. The moment you decide that you're strong, that you're good, the Bible warns you, those that feel or that think themselves strong, be weary that you may not fall. Meaning, when you think you're strongest, that's when you have to be most aware. You know, I talk to a lot of leaders and preachers and pastors, and they say that their worst times of temptations is after their greatest ministerial victories. That after they preach a great message, then that's where the enemy attacks them with what they preached about. That after they've gone through a conference, all the conference was about, that's where they start getting tempted and attacked at. I say, that's why I don't do conferences. I'm just kidding. <laughs> the reason is because the enemy knows that if he can get you while you're down, listen, that's when you're vulnerable. That's when you're most exposed. I, 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 would, I used to share this analogy when I used to teach Sunday school to the children. And there's, when I would talk to them about demons and, and, uh, and Satan, I don't think children are too small to hear about this. They just are too small to hear about it the way you hear it. So I'll tell them these, people, these things are real. Like there's angels and then there's also angels that messed up. Angels that were doing great. They loved God. They served God. But they rebelled against God. And God sent them down to a place of dishonor. Right? These angels are like lurking the waters like sharks. And I tell these kids, I used to tell them, in order for you not to be attacked by these guys, in order for you to, to be able to fend them off, just get out of the water. If a shark is dangerous, it is only dangerous inside the water. A shark will never be dangerous outside the water. You know what I was telling the kids? Be in the center of the will of God. Right? Walk in righteousness. Learn that you don't step into the temptation. That way you won't be tempted. Right? However, what happens to you and I when, not if, when you mess up? And this is the best sermon I preached. I'm telling you why. Not because it'll be the most exciting or the funnest. I pray it will be fun and exciting. However, it is what will determine the rest of your Christianity. Let me tell you this. The rest of your walk with Jesus. I would even say the rest of your marriage. The rest of your finances, the rest of your life will be determined by how you respond when you fall. Because character is never formed in success. It is only revealed through the spotlight and most people fail at it. A pastor at one time told me that and uh, I think he got it from John Maxwell. But I just accredit the pastor that told me. But John Maxwell's pretty awesome. He said, you know, success will get you up there. But only character can keep you there. And I see over and over we are very emphatic about success. The church, not just the church, the world loves to talk about success. What about the failures? We can believe that when a person's successful and we look at our own lives and we could create such a gap, such a difference that we say, oh, that's them, not me. That's people like them. That's those Christians. That's those pastors, those leaders, those parents, those marriages. Those cell groups, amen? Those relationships, those Mexicans, those black people, those white people, those people. It's easy to see, oh, that's a characteristic of those people. Oh, you'll see that culture loves family. That culture, you know, they have the right mindset. They have this education. They have this and that. And that's such a lie from the enemy. You can create separation from anything and that devoids you of responsibility for transformation. It is easy to say those, they, them, but not us. I've heard people say Latinos, we're late because we're Latinos. And that's such a lie. It's a lie. Somebody say it with me. It's a lie. It's a lie, right? I'm sorry, but the color of your skin doesn't make you on time or tardy. Right? It has nothing to do with your language. It has to do with, and I'm telling you because we all need to change here. 
But the truth is this. My truth is this. What do you do when you fail? I've, I'm learning something beautiful. Um, by the way, I feel like I'm in a southern church because we're all like waving here. I love it. Absolutely love it. Because I think the AC turned off. I don't know one of the men can help me out over here. Thank you, guys. Uh, thank you, Jay. Cool, cool. If not, it's your time to fan your wife, earn some, some points. It says, when the righteous fall, for a righteous man falls. Man, I love that NASB version. For a righteous man falls. A righteous woman falls. But they will get up again. The wicked, when they're struck, that's the end of them. Another version or another verse, I mean, Lamentations 3.22 says, The Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases, for his compassion never fails. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. God's mercies are new every morning. For those of us that grab on and understand the grace of God, the grace is never to sin. The grace is in order to overcome when you do sin. Let me repeat that again. Many people claim grace before the sin. That's no grace at all. Let me repeat this again so you understand the right theology. If you're claiming grace prior to your fall, you have completely misunderstood grace. You are cheapening. You are throwing away the sacrifice of God. You're spitting on the blood and saying, hey, I can just use it and abuse it to my liking and desire. Grace applies. The grace of God is to stand, to remain, to arise. It is not to fall. It is not to sin. It is not a permission to do what's wrong. It is the strength of God to stand again. Somebody please give God a round of applause if you believe that. Amen. You don't need. This is wild to me. In sports, I love sports, and in sports, there's something called, a terminology called the comeback kings. Anybody know what a comeback king is? It's usually a team that comes from behind and like, it's losing like 4-0, but it prefers it that way. Because then it ends up winning 7-4. You know what I mean? It's kind of the team that like, that just tears people up when they think they're doing good. It's a team that comes out of nowhere. It's the Rocky Balboas uh, of sports, you know? Who does not love those kind of... Do you guys know who Rocky Balboa is? Okay, good. Okay, good, good, good. I don't know. It sounds irrelevant. You know, I talk about Gladiator. What's Gladiator? You mean the notebook? No. Shut up. You know, we understand that we love comeback stories. We love the underdogs. We love to hear those stories. We love to see what they've become. I love to see what... They, I love to hear that Michael Jordan got cut from the team. I don't, you know why? Because he is the greatest player of all time. I don't care if you like Kobe Bryant. Michael Jordan is the greatest player of all time. Now, he didn't even make it through his high school. He, his, he, got, he did play high school, but he got cut from his high school team. And of course, we love to hear that. But who loves to be Michael Jordan at the age of 14 years old? When he's getting cut from the high school team. Who wants to be the Abraham Lincoln that gets, you know, rejected from Senate? Right? Who likes to be the Abraham Lincoln that got rejected, 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 and then he becomes the president of the nation, the one who emancipation of all slavery? Does that make sense? Who wants to be the one who's rejected? Nobody. Because we don't know what to do with failure. Winners know what to do with failure. Can I tell you, can I speak to you for just a second as I would speak to my own team of leaders, to my own, my own son, I mean it 100%. We must be able to respond to pain according to our future, not to our feelings. We must be able to respond. Listen to this. There's this story of these two brothers, Esau and Jacob. I'm not going to tell you the whole story because we just did the ceremony and it took about half of my sermon. But the truth is this, is that Esau and Jacob were both 
people that, that love their family. They both had an incredible calling, but one of them had a special calling. He had the calling to be the firstborn. He was reserved. He was, he was to receive a great inheritance, a great legacy, double the portion, great honor. But because he was hungry that day, because he felt like he was going to die. Now, you're not going to die from not eating a couple days or a couple hours. Uh, we fasted a few, a few days, and we know that, that people can make it at least 40 days without water, at least that much. Right? Some of you guys go, oh, really? Nah. No, without food, without food. Water's a long time without water. Only Jesus and Brother Jung. Right? But we, we know, guys, we know that this guy was not going to die. But he tells his brother, please give me some food. Give me some of that good stew that you could. I'm going to die. If I don't get it, please give it to me. And that's how we act a lot of the times, right? That leads us to fall many times. But anyway, so he gives them this. He says, fine, you give me your birthright and I'll give you my beans, right? It's the lentils, small beans, lentils. It's okay, fine, I'll give you the, the, the lentils. He gives them and he gives them his birthright. Now, this seems silly to most of us because we don't live in that culture. We don't understand what the birthright is. For us, the younger kids, the one that gets all the perks, well, he's the little one, so he doesn't get beat up like the older one does. Any older, older brothers know what I'm talking about, right? That the little one always got all the breaks? Yes? Any younger ones know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you're crying, just blame it on the old one. Why don't you look after your brother? It wasn't like that before. The older brother got to eat first. The older brother got to choose first. Matter of fact, the older brother got to choose his wife first. Because back then, it wasn't like now. Daddy chose the wife, and let's hope... The wife had a beautiful sister, because otherwise, you're in trouble, bro. Right? You want to be the firstborn. Not only do you want to be the firstborn for those reasons, but because God had a special reserved anointing for the firstborn, the birthright. Jesus was the only son. Just throw that out there. It's something so cool, but I found something so sad. And I want you to watch it with me to look at it so you don't think I'm making stuff up. And it is crazy. Hebrews 12, 16, 17. Hebrews 12. <laughs> All right. Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12, touch a guy's arms, he'll always flex. It's, it's a fact. Just touch a guy next to you, touch his arm, watch him flex. Did he, hey, did he flex, Nat? Did he flex? He did flex, huh? Hey, touch, touch Jared's arm real quick. See how humble he is? Ah, he flexed. <laughs> Every man will flex. Anyway, okay, it's just a little thought out there. Like Esau, verse 12, chapter 12, verse 16. Hebrews 12, 16. Check this out. Now, this is Hebrews. We're not talking about the Old Testament anymore. This is Hebrews speaking of this man, the guy I just told you about. Like Esau, who sold his own birthright for a single meal. For you know that even afterwards, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought for it with his tears. It was too late to cry. It is too late to cry. For some people, it is going to be too late to cry. Because by then, you would have lost what God had reserved for you. You know, I believe in a God of restoration. And I do believe in a God that gives you many, many chances. But there are certain things, guys, that you could never get back. Unless you know how to bounce back and bounce immediately. Some things you have to be able to say, I will not remain on the ground. I must stand up right now. Amen. Give God a shout of praise. Now, we know what a 10-second rule is. Anybody know what a 10-second rule is? Yeah, what is a 10-second rule? If you're five years old, it's like 20-second rule, right? The taller you get, the shorter the rule gets. 
right? You drop a candy, 10 second rule. You just wipe it off, clean it, put it in your mouth right away, yes? How many guys still abide by that rule? Be honest. Yeah, it depends on the candy, right? If it's good candy that like grandma brought from somewhere, right? But we know that it's a 10 second rule. Shouldn't it be a 10 second rule for us? I'm just saying, shouldn't we have a 10 second rule to where I'm feeling down today? 10 seconds, counting down. I just think, this is, okay, I'm going to give you a little insight into this Mexican culture that's so weird sometimes. Mexicans, we used to have a saying, when you drop something, they would say, no lo recojas porque ya, right, because the devil licked it. That's, how, how scary is that? You have a 10 second rule, Mexicans have like the devil licking at your candy. How are you going to want to eat like candy licked, devil candy licked? You know, like you can't, you like, uh, that just got licked by the devil. I'm not going to eat it, right? There's a joke that says grandma falls. He's like, help me up. No way, the devil just licked you. You know what I mean? But how many of you would say, hey, that's actually more true in my life than it was for the little Mexican kids? You fall down, you stay down, the devil's like... That's exactly what happens. Now, you don't think so, but it's true. It is so true. You get up all like, I'm okay. But what happens to the world around you? Wife. Can I talk to the wives for just a second? The devil's attacking your emotions. You get all crazy and angry and sad and mad. And, and now you fall down and you decide to stay down for an entire day. Great, you get up the next day, but what happens to your relationship, to your children, to the people around you, to your cell group? What happens to everyone around you? Okay, as a man, for a second, you're a husband, you're down that day, you don't feel like you're doing your devotional, so you don't do your devotional, you give yourself a break, a longer break than you should, because that happens to men, right? We give ourselves some breaks, because no one else gives me a break, so you give yourself your own break. And what happens with your break is that it ends up affecting you generations and generations and generations and generations after. You see, how quick you get up determines your righteousness. How quick you can get up after you fall determines the righteousness inside of you. Not if you fall, but what do you do when you fall? When the argument comes into your mind, what do you do with the argument? Do you violently contradict your argument and say, oh yeah, you're trying to tempt me against my leadership? Well, really? Now I'm going to love him even more. You're trying to tempt me against my disciple? I'm going to pour my life into him even more. You're going to tempt me against my calling? Oh, you just watch what's going to happen if you tempt my calling. Amen? You violently contradict whatever the enemy is trying to tell you. I call it punch the enemy in his mouth. It's the only way you stop a bully. Now you could try to give him your sandwich, but he'll want your sandwich and your fruit roll up next week. But you punch him in the mouth. He may punch you 10 times, but next time he's going to be like, well, it costed me a little more than a fruit roll up, so I'm not going to try it next time. The enemy loves to push you around. The enemy loves to watch you fall and even more to watch you remain on the ground. When I watch boxing, I love it because you have these men, boom, they fall. And you see them stumbling and they're like, they got one, 10 second rule, two, three, four. The guy gets up to eight, to nine, he looks at the ref and you can see the guy's days like gone. He's like, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. And he's like ready to fight. He can't even stand up, but he's ready to fight again. And I'm looking at him like, Lord, give me that kind of mindset. The kind of mindset that says, no, 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 no. I still got two more in me. Give me one more time, one more time. I just may do this. Amen. But we quit way too soon. In Hebrews it says that this man had no, no grace. He could not receive it. I'll tell you why later. But for now let me share you, with you a story that I absolutely, absolutely love. There's this woman. We're going to call her Betty. And that's really her name. But it's written weird. So I don't know how to say it. 
And Betty had this great idea. She was the secretary, and she had this idea that every time she was typing, and so she would make a mistake, she, she you know, with the, the electric typewriters, she couldn't erase it, and so she, she also liked to paint, so she used to put this little paint on top of it. She made her own little concoction, and everybody loved it in her office. Oh, it's such a great thing. She used to call it mistake out. Anybody sound familiar a little bit, right? Mistake out. And so she started like trying to see if anybody else was interested. And so he, she pitched the idea to different leaders in her company and different companies, including IBM. They all told her it's a dumb idea. It won't go anywhere. We don't want anything to do with it. So she stopped it. But soon enough, everybody said, hey, where's that, that, that mistake out? We need mistake out. And her whole office continued to ask for it. So out of her kitchen, she made this like mistake out lab. And so she started making her business out of her kitchen. Can I tell you, and just fast forward this awesome story. She ended up selling her business to Bix Company. Bix, like the one that has the pen. They now call it white out, right? Or they call it what? Liquid paper, right? And that sold for $46.5 million, $47.5 million. This woman made a fortune out of mistake outs. Out of all the mistakes, all the errors of our lives, this woman said, uh-uh, I see that mistake. We all want a second chance. We all want a do-over. Amen? Now, we may not use that anymore, but this girl's balling. I'm going to ask you a simple, simple question. What do you do with mistakes? What do you do with mistakes? This woman made a fortune out of it. When you get rejected... See, because we all gotten jobs before. But what happens when you don't get the job? What happens when they lay people off? And when you say people, you mean you people. Like me. Oh, you know, they had layoffs in the company. How many did they lay off? One. <clears throat> what happens when the company doesn't like? Or what happens, you know what? When everybody seems to agree that day that they won't be nice to you. Everybody. Like, all of a sudden, or, or, or just... I don't know if you guys had ever been through this horrific feeling, the pit on your stomach, where you know a payment is about to go into your account, but you see red numbers. Or you see not enough, insufficient. You've been there before. Right? When you're there and you're like, man. And you start feeling like all your work, all that you do is not working for you. Or sometimes, believe it or not, you're serving God and you're doing all that you can do for people. And people just turn their back and they pretend like you haven't done a thing for them. Now, it doesn't only happen in ministry. It happens at home. Moms, if you agree with me, don't say amen. Right? It happens all the time when you feel like a failure and what you should be succeeding. As a husband, when you, you, you can't help but blame somebody, but at the end of the day, you go back into your room or into your car, and you know you're the one that's messing it up. That if you were different, things would be different. Women, I don't know because I've never been a girl, but that is how men feel. We can blame you all through our teeth, but at the end of the day, we go back and we say, Ugh, and we hate ourselves when we don't cut it, when we don't get it done. See, what do you do with that? What happens in your life when you reject or are rejected? I love a, a man. His name is, and I don't know him. He's one of my best friends, but I don't know him. When I get to heaven, I'll be like, you are awesome. Good game. John, no, I'm just kidding. John Wesley is awesome, right? Sunday, May 5th, Sunday morning, preached in St. Anne's, was asked not to come back anymore. Sunday night, May 5th, preached in St. John, Deacons said, get out and stay out. Sunday morning, May 12th, preach in St. Jude's, can't go back there either. Sunday a.m., 19th, May 19th, preaching <laughs> preach in, in St. Somebody Else's, deacons called special meeting and said, I couldn't return. Sunday afternoon, May 19th, preached on street, kicked off street. Sunday morning, May 26th, 
preached in meadow, chased out of meadow as bull was turned loose during service. Sunday morning, June 2, preached out at the edge of the town, kicked off the highway. Sunday night, June 2nd, afternoon, preached in a pasture. 10,000 people came out to hear me preach. Can I tell you, this is out of his journal, his diary. Rejected, 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 rejected. Did you know God's delay is not a denial? When God delays something, it doesn't mean he's denied it. When you have a, a temporary fail, failure, you should never... I love T.D. Jakes because he, he, he's a guy who I, I, I love. I love to receive from him. I can receive from different preachers. But there's something about him. And he, he talked about this. Uh, there was a, a sermon, I think it was back in 20, 2014 or 2012. And, uh, and I remember him saying something like this. He said, never make a permanent decision based on a temporary situation. Never make a permanent decision based on a, permanent, on a, on a temporary situation. Last service, I was talking a little bit more about this. I don't know if I should tell you. I'm just kidding. But there's something there that's so beautiful. We make 30-minute decisions that last 30 minutes of pleasure, and we pay for them 30 years worth. Your children pay for things that you seem to get the prize for. Now, of course, I don't want to sound judgmental, but your actions will judge you harder if I don't. Let me repeat that again. I tell my child what he's doing wrong so that the circumstance doesn't smack him in the face later. Please understand what I'm telling you. I have to tell my five-year-old, don't touch that. Don't do that. You should do this instead. Not because I hate the kid and I don't want him to have fun, but because I know that he can really hurt himself and mar his body and hurt really somebody else with that. What we don't like to hear is, the truth is this. You are very momentary pleasure-driven. You're instant gratification person, and that needs to change. See, Esau ended up messing up because he was an instant gratification kind of man and not a future kind of man. He had no vision, therefore he lost control. Let me ask you this. In your failure, has it been because you had eternal perspective or world perspective? Most of the time, our failures happen not because you're evil or you hate God, but because you have failed to see one simple truth. And that is that you have a future in Christ. You have a future in the Lord. Now, it may not be with that person. Maybe it is with that person. Maybe not. But I do guarantee you this. The Lord will be in your future. He loves you. And he'll always be there for you. We become five-minute atheists. A man who struggled with masturbation one time told me, I don't know. It's like, it's like I forget about God. I call him a five-minute atheist. Five-minute atheist. And then you feel horrible. You feel dirty. You feel like, why would you do this? And you feel like you shouldn't, you, you're not worth serving God. Why? Because he forgot to see, he failed to see that those five minutes will bring him so much pain, so much regret, so, feeling so bad about himself, condemnation. The enemy has a foothold. Instead of saying, this is my opportunity to show God that I love you so much and I would rather have eternity with you than a moment on this earth. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... Not extend, I promise you guys. I only have about 14, 16 minutes left. What I want to do is something very simple. Be applicable. How do you overcome failure? What do you do when failure knocks on your door and you're just there? And, man, I wish I would have had enough time last service because I think they missed it. Try to get a hold of the post guy if you know somebody from the other service. But one of the things that you must do, the first thing that you must do, if you are 
to turn. I'm going to pull it out of Hebrews 12, the same chapter we read earlier, where it says that Esau failed to receive. But we have. You won't understand the whole thing unless you read it on your own later. But it begins to talk about why he couldn't receive the blessing. It says that there was this big mountain that he couldn't even touch. It was this burning mountain. It was this thing, this heap. Now listen to this. He could not get near it. He couldn't receive the grace. He couldn't receive forgiveness. Then he does a contrast. It goes from that mountain from back then. It goes into this new mountain, this, this, this new moment. And it says this. But you, and I'm telling you, but you who are here today, but you come to Mount Zion and the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the myriad of angels, meaning the angels who are listening, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, that's you guys, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. Did you catch it? Did you catch it? It says, to the general assembly, it says, to the general assembly and the church of the firstborn. The church of the firstborn. My Jesus is the only begotten son of God, the firstborn. Here's the crazy thing. When you accept Christ's inheritance, you're accepting what Esau rejected. When you accept Christ's inheritance, you're now taking on the opportunity that someone before you had not. He didn't have that opportunity, but you do because you belong to the church of the firstborn. That is Jesus, whom by the sprinkling of his blood, you can have mercy. Mercy. Let me, can I hear a run up just for God? Mercy. If you know what mercy means, mercy means you do not. Receive what you deserve. I deserve so much horrible things that should happen to me or should have happened to me. I remember one specific time, one specific time, we, were, we went uh, teeping. Anybody know what teeping is? No, we didn't build tips. There are teepees, you know teepees? <laughs> teeping, we're giving tips to waitresses. We went to this house of some girl. Okay, I was trying to get, okay, forget it. Right, anyway, so there's this, this house in Arcadia, and we went with a bunch of toilet paper and a bunch of horrible things and pooping bags and things like that, and we did it all over the house. We started, like, burning the bags, so when they came out, tried to stomp on it. You guys know what I'm talking about. All the dude who gets on the guy. We filled the, the, the it was just dumb, like, really dumb. We did all these horrible things to this house, and all because it was some girl that the girl that I was trying to go out with didn't like. And I was the designated driver. And of course, I know, I know, dumb, right? Mercy! <sighs> I was high school-ish. Okay, anyway, so when we get there, I remember like, dude, we take off, we're laughing, and guess what? We get the cops called on us. Now, check this out. He said, how did they catch you? This is how we got caught. Listen, never do this. First of all, don't do it. Anyway. We circled back around because one of the girls got scared. What if the cows caught on fire? I said, it's not going to catch on fire. The dude will turn it out. No, what if the house caught on fire? No, no, we must go back. I was like, don't get a conscience on me now. No, we must go back. So we drive back, and they, there they are. So I speed up. I'm about to hit the person because he's standing on the street. I wave out of the way. I'm like, ah, and I take off. Now, by then, they got our license plate. They catch us down Huntington Drive. The cop pulls us over, and that's where the, the sermon ends. <laughs> Bye, guys. No, and so we get pulled over the cops. Now, here we are. Act normal. Act normal. Act normal. Okay? The girl starts crying. Like, 
I should have checked the seat for a little peepee, you know? Like, she was crying. She was so scared. <laughs> do anything. I was like, shut up. You know, you're not even good at this. And so he looks at our tires. It was all hot. All these things. Anyway, matches the description. Cup brings us in. Now, he does something. He takes us to the house of the person. Now, this is horrible because the families knew each other. And so we're there. And, and we're there. And I'm like, I'm the only guy among all these Loser girls, you know. I'm like, what are you guys doing? You know, so I'm up there standing in front like a man, looking like a man. I'm not really a man. I'm a boy pretending to be a man. And all, honestly, all these horrible things happen. And the guy's like screaming at us. And, of course, we had to clean it all up. But here's the next thing. Listen, listen, listen. This is where mercy came in. I said, look, please don't tell my mom. <laughs> and the guy's looking at me. Of course I'm going to tell your parents. I said, look, I take full responsibility. Like, what responsibility? I'll clean everything up. I'll come to your lawn. I'll come do it for like a week straight every month, you know. And he was just like, come here. And he started talking to me. I honestly, I don't remember what he said. I was saying, please don't tell my mom. Please don't tell my mom. Please don't tell my mom. Can you believe the guy didn't tell my mom? Mercy, right? Here's the crazy thing. Next week, my buddies want to go teeping. Guess what Pablo Martinez does? He said no. Yes! You know why? Let me tell you why. Because that night, I didn't cry for getting caught. I didn't get nervous. You know what I cried for? Because I felt convicted. I was like, honestly, I'm telling you this seriously, seriously. By the way, I wasn't like not going to church. I was pretending to go to church. So I heard the messages. I just didn't receive the messages. Some of you guys just got convicted right now over that. You're like, mm. what are you talking about, Pastor? He was sleeping, checking his Instagram. Huh? But that's what happened. And so I remember hearing that. I'm like, Lord. And the next time I said, no, man, you guys go. Ah, you ain't down. You ain't down. No, no, you guys go. You guys go. You know what? It wasn't that I couldn't get in trouble. It wasn't that I got away. It was that there was mercy extended. It wasn't the words of the man. It was this nice thing that the guy did that messed me up for my next tipping. You know what it was? The Bible says, it's your kindness, Lord, that leads us to repentance. It's your kindness, Lord, that leads us to repentance. Our problem when we fall, we feel condemnation. We feel the weight of sin, and that will never help you get back up, ever. Now, I'm not saying you overlook it and pretend nothing happened. If you must mourn, mourn it out. But don't mistake for one second conviction for condemnation. And what is the difference between conviction and condemnation? Conviction tells you what you did wrong and what must be done to fix it. Condemnation says you are wrong, period. That's condemnation. Condemnation has no way out, no hope. It simply says you are a criminal. Condem con uh, condemnation says that. Conviction says, this is your crime. This is what you'll do to pay for it. And then you'll go free. Yeah. Did you know that when I'm convicted by sin, instead of condemned by sin, there must be a change of attitude. There must be a change of lifestyle. There must be a change of mindset. If I'm convicted of my sin of anger, then what is my response next time somebody makes me angry? Then I'm convicted of that. I don't need to go down that route anymore. I had a friend, man, I, I, and I have a lot of good friends, and some are not so good anymore. And the reason I tell you about this particular guy is because he understood the Bible. He understood his parents' God. He went to church. He used to play at a church, but he never got convicted of his sin. And the problem was that his friends never got saved, at least not till I know, because they would see his life, no conviction, no repentance, no mercy. See, because if there's no repentance, God can't show up in mercy in your friends' lives. We want to win the world for Jesus, but we're telling the world you don't need him to live. I need Christ more than you do, and you need Christ more than I do in every situation. We desperately need the Lord. I know, I know a God who according to Hebrews chapter 12 verse 22 has blood 
that has been shed for your sins in order for you to become a firstborn. I'm going to give you a little bit of historical church history, church, historical church history. <laughs> I'm going to give you a little bit of church history, not to bore you, but to give you some, a little bit of deeper understanding into this. We were not the firstborn of Israel. We were not the firstborn of God. Israel was. Israel were, they were his chosen people. It sucks, it sucks for Americans, right? Because we love to hear we're the first in everything. Our error code says one. You know, countries code, other countries are 57, 38, 37. Dial America, you just have to put a one. Yeah. Right? See? But when we hear we're not the first ones, we reject that theology. We don't preach about that in churches. The fact of the matter is, you and I have been adopted, and that's a wonderful thing. The only reason we were adopted is because his first people, his tribe, rejected him. His tribe said, no, God, we don't want you. We'll crucify you. Thank you very much. And God says we are the remnant. Those, these people that were cut away, but then they were just there. Now we're literally grafted back into his family. We were placed in a spot where we did not earn or deserve. We were simply receiving this out of mercy and grace. And that to me is a wonderful story. Not because, wait, why didn't I get it in the first place? See, because that's an ownership entitlement. Well, why don't I get this? Why don't I get that? Instead of saying, thank you very much, God, for the things that I do have. You have been so good, so kind, so kind to me. There's so Give God a shout of praise. Why not? When you lose entitlement, you gain the power to change your attitude. If you want to change when you fall, you must be able to change your sense of entitlement. You humble yourself before the almighty God. That's what the Bible says. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God and he will lift you up. It doesn't say lift yourself up. Dust it off and try it again. I'm sorry, dog. Sometimes it doesn't work. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God. And he shall lift you up. But we don't like to humble ourselves. We say, I'm strong, I'm good. You say it from the floor, though. And we repeat that again. I'm strong, I'm good. But you're saying it from the floor. Well, you know, I remember one guy said, if it wasn't for that, I would have never been the man I am. And I said, good Lord, that should have happened. Well, I am who I am because of that. And we're so proud of who we are versus, God, I know what you'll make me. And I'm not there yet. But we can be so proud. Have you ever heard of somebody says, saying these kind of things? Well, it's who I am. It's not who you are. It's who God's making you to be. I'm going to ask the piano to come up, the keyboard. And as we do this, uh, there's something powerful that we don't like to, to hear because when, you sound, when we, say, we say that there's perpetual sin or that we get trapped in a cycle, we feel desperate. When you tell somebody, hey, you're addicted, you're an addict. Nah, I'm not addicted. You're addicted to Netflix. Shut up. I can stop anytime I want. <laughs> this series is almost over. <laughs> we don't like to be addicted. We say, well, you're addicted. It means you're bound. You're a slave to something. We tell people, well, you know, you... I think you're addicted to approval. That's why you can't make it a cell group. Why? Because your friends don't like you coming to church. Or maybe, maybe you're addicted to maybe sex. I don't know. Pornography. Uh, it could be gossip. Because gossip is juicy. If it wasn't juicy, nobody would like it. Maybe, maybe this is not your case. Maybe in that you're strong. But maybe you're addicted to your bed. You don't like to get up. You like comfort. And comfort is your drug. Don't touch me, don't talk to me until I'm finished getting high on my bed. 
If you interrupt my moment, I will hate you for two days. And I'll let you know how bad, how bad I can be. Because you interrupted my moment with my bed. God, don't interrupt my moments. This is my private life. We're addicted to ourselves and our comfort. Sometimes we're addicted to money. Now, pastor, I don't even have any precisely. <laughs> I'm a fiend of it. <laughs> it's true. Some people think that the richer you get, the more... St- no way. It doesn't determine Jack. Uh, some really, really greedy people manage to get their hands on it. But some people that are broke are far more in love with money than some people that have it and distribute it. Your tithings, your offerings will show. Mine has over and over. In a moment where I say, God, well, what I really need it. No, no, God, I'm sorry. I really need you. Help me out. Help me figure out how not to ever be in this situation again. For those of you that struggle with something, whatever it is, whether you're broke or broken, I believe God wants to lift you up today, but you must humble yourself. So to break it down, first, repent. Really say sorry, God. This is not where I want to go. That's repentance. Repentance doesn't mean crying, though sometimes that's a byproduct. Most of the time it should be because there's pain behind sin to you, to others, and to God primarily. But the first thing is repentance. I repent right now. Second thing I would say is you violently contradict it. You go against it with violence. You, out, you counterattack. They say, and I, I tell you this, we just saw it on the, I hate to bring the World Cup, but I'm really liking it. So Argentina was winning 2-1 two to one at halftime. They were winning. Argentina's a great team. They have an amazing player, the best player in the world, Lionel Messi. And my wife's Argentinian, so they're amazing. Crazy thing happened. They were winning 2-1, and the final score was that they were eliminated from the World Cup. They ended up 4-3. to three. Now, why is that deep? It's not deep. The music makes it sound deep, but it's really not deep. All it means is that when you're up, you're 2-1, to one, you think you're doing great. You think you're awesome. You could hang back, become defensive, become just like this. Did you know when you start doing well in church is when you start serving God with everything? When you feel God doing something in you is when you pull footfalls, put the pedal to the metal. You actually get going all out, all in. You're not keep testing the waters. That's when you say, God, I know you're moving. Now we're going all out, all in. There's enough water, I'll jump in. Does that make sense? But we think, I'm doing better. I'll just hang out for a little bit because this is a good spot. There's no neutrality in Christianity. Either you go all out or you're out. That's my truth. If you feel like you're an exception, I don't invite you to live it. Learn from other people's mistakes. Those people, like the one guy that I preached to you guys about sometimes, who used to be a great leader, ended up cheating on his wife, falling around. And I mean around, he fell. I tell you about this not so you could think, well, see, we all, no, 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 no. So that you could understand. You can be doing great. But you're only as funky as your last cut. You guys have never heard that before. You don't claim yesterday's victory as your victory. That's yesterday's. It belongs there. It belongs to that guy named yesterday. It's his. Does that make sense? It's not yours today. You did good yesterday. You loved her yesterday. Well, love her today again. Oh, well, I love her. Yeah, yesterday. But I gave her this. She doesn't even thank me anymore. Well, you gave her already that. What do you expect? We live on yesterday, and that stops us from getting up tomorrow. So we must repent. Number one, we must violently contradict. We must expect God to act. And the last one, I think, is probably my favorite of all of these. Would you stand up with me, actually? Otherwise, I'll keep preaching, and then we'll never eat. <laughs> I learned something from, uh, from the dumbest of sources long, long time ago. I read this dumb little quote. 
And um, anybody know what postage stamps are? Yeah? Okay. Whew. Now it's all printed and emailed and all. But postage stamps are these little stamps that you put on little letters that you send them out. These things have taught me a great, great lesson. Postage stamps are amazing. You're like, why, Pastor? They're just incredible. They are my greatest example of tenacity. See, they stick to where you put them all the way to the destination. Have you ever tried to rip off a post stamp from a letter? You have to rip it apart or cut the letter because you can't have separation from it. Once it's there, it's there till its destiny, till it reaches its destination. We must be more like post stamps. That sounds ridiculous, but it's a fact of life. When God says, I have a future and a hope for you, you live like it. You don't say, well, you had a future and a hope, but then I fell. No, 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 wait, hold on a second. Hold on a second. You have a future and a hope. Now you have a future and a hope and a testimony to go with it. Your test is your testimony. Your test is your testimony. I heard uh, when I was in Nashville, one of the pastors said, some people have a testimony, some people have a testimony. <laughs> and I love it. I like, Yours is not going to have to be a testimony. Were you guys there? Do you guys remember that? Pastor Hilliard? No, I said, oh, who was it? He was, by the way, welcome Nashville Live right here. We got Nashvillians. Give them a good round of applause. Welcome them home. They're moving here. They're going to be part of a cell group. I'm just kidding. I'm, just kidding. I'm, playing. I'm playing. I'm playing. I'm playing. I'm playing. I'm playing. Okay, 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 okay. Uh, but we do understand that I, <laughs> I just got revelation from the Lord from something. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, I'm playing. I'm playing. I'm playing. We, we have, we have this, this message in our life. We have tests that, like I said earlier, they'll become our testimony. We have mess that become messages where you're all screwed up, all messed up. Something's hurting. And then the Lord intervenes. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I was that guy that went to church and I was so rebellious. I was standing on the back like an eighth grade kid in a high school, you know, in a junior dance. You know what I'm saying? Like eighth grade kids, they just look at everybody else not, you know, who dance. I go, yeah, that fool doesn't know how to dance. And you're like on the wall, bro. You're like never danced ever in your life. Two left feet where you criticize others. And that will be your testimony. You know, I was the guy that was so cold, so cold. You could never, ever, ever do anything. But God touched my heart one day. I repented from my sin. And I serve my family, my children. They all serve the Lord. What's your mess right now? Can I ask you really seriously? What is the mess that God wants to turn into your message? What is the test that will become your testimony? What is that thing that you struggle with? And I'll, I'll be super, super real with you guys. I hear more men, more men tell me, Pastor, I want to serve the Lord. I just don't feel equipped. I feel like I, 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 don't, like I can't come through in so many things. I feel like I don't finish. I sent them my 12 message this week that said, unfinished tasks are what, Louis? Uh, come on, come on, come on. 12, somebody. See if you guys read it. Don't learn from them in this, okay? Guys, the rest of you, don't learn from them. They're actually really good disciples just today. They're on the spot. Mercy. What? There's nothing so fatal to character as unfinished tasks. Man, we, don't, we, don't, we fail at small things and we think God could never use us. But I believe today God is doing something. Do you guys believe that? Close your eyes for a second, please. Papa, please. 
Job 8.7 says, your latter will be greater than your former. Joshua 10.24 says, you have to put, oh man. Joshua brings five kings, puts them under his leader's feet, and has each one of them step on their necks. The leaders, they weren't kings. He says, this is who you are. You're a conqueror. You're a giant. You're someone who will overcome kingdoms. Micah 7.8 says, Jesus, please. Do not rejoice in my fall, O enemy. Though I fall, I will stand again. When darkest is darkest, when darkness is darkest, the Lord is my light. When darkness is darkest, the Lord is my light. Holy Spirit of God, I ask you, I beg you, Lord, for anyone here who is bankrupt, or anyone here who thinks they're doing well equally. I pray that you give them the anointing, the strength, the memory, God, to be able to remember their 10-second rule. God, may they remember that when, not if, but when they fall, that they will stand to their feet and praise the Lord and say, I have a God of mercy who loves me, who has a purpose for my life, and I will not go back. I pray, God, right now for those people that are married to their sin that today would be a great divorce. God, that today they will tell their sin, you're no longer a part of my life. You do not belong in my house. You do not belong in my family or in my future. I declare right now independence from you and dependence on God. Dear God, I declare that this week as we celebrate our Independence Day in this amazing country, that people will remember that freedom is not free and that you, Jesus, as well as our soldiers, paid the greatest price which is your life for us. God, I thank you because you are the greatest story, the greatest comeback king. You, Jesus, died for us. You bled for us. You were beaten by your enemy over and over and over. But there is a moment, God, where you overcome death. And even more so, you will return for your church. The greatest comeback king is my king. The king of the Jews and the king of the Gentiles. Dear God, I pray right now for anyone in this church right here who has felt like they failed and they can't. Where they can look at you, Jesus, and say, it is not I, but it is you in me. It is in my weakness that your strength is perfected. That they could say, you are faithful to complete whatever you have begun in me. That they can truly say, if God is for me, who or what can be against me? Where they can say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That they can actually say, though I walk through the valley of shadows and death, I fear no evil. Did you know that God right here, right now is encouraging you? But it's up to you to say, Lord, I receive it. I receive it. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray. In a symbolic act, I'm going to ask you to put your hand on your heart as though it is I who lay hands on you and on your heart. I'd like to pray that God gives you the strength to fight back when you fall down. The strength to be able to tell the enemy, no more, no more, no more. If you've been falling into sin or you've been falling into arguments or sadness or depression or anger. Or maybe you keep falling into greater debt. Oh man, this is real. 
Some of you cannot stop going deeper into debt because you have no control, and that is also sin. If the Spirit of God is not in control of you, just like a drug, just like alcohol, then there's something wrong. God says to you, you will have the ability to overcome. You will not remain in debt. You will not remain in sin. You will not remain defeated. You will not remain in loneliness. You will multiply. You'll give fruit because you'll be an example to so many. Dear God, I pray right now that you give them the strength, the fortitude to be able to say no, to be able to stand strong, God, when the enemy tries to attack. God, when they have fallen, that they would remember the proverb that says, for a righteous man falls seven times and rises again, but the wicked stumble in time of calamity. Dear God, lift them up. Raise this generation of leaders. God, raise them to be leaders of leaders. To the fallen, I say to you, get up in the name of Jesus. To the stumbling, I say to you, get up in the name of Jesus Christ. To those of you that feel weak, I say to you, be strong in the name of Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God is upon you. The Spirit of God is upon you. God, I pray, please, right now, that anyone here that has failed over and over and over again, that they say seven times, God, one more time, Lord, one more time. Dear God, I thank you for what you've done so far today. But I ask you, God, I ask you, please, please, that anyone who has failed in their dream or their vision, who says it's too late, that you remind them it is never too late, God. That with one year of their life, you can do more than a hundred years with someone who has not accepted you as their leader. God, I pray right now that they receive vision, that they receive, God, one more time dreams for their family, for their ministry. God, I declare these men and women priestly families, priestly families, that they will refuse to live enslaved by the enemy. Irving Stone has spent a lifetime studying greatness, writing novels, biographies, and such. He studied men like Michelangelo, Vincent van Gogh, and many other great men. Stone was once asked if he had found a thread that runs through the lives of all these exceptional people. He said, I write about people who sometime in their life have a vision or dream or something that should be accomplished and they go to work. They're beaten over the head, knocked down, vilified, and for years they get nowhere. But every time they're knocked down, they stand up. You cannot destroy these people. And at the end of their lives, they've accomplished some modest part of what they set out to do. I declare you, in the name of Jesus, indestructible. Amen and amen. Get God a shout of praise, please. I'm going to let you guys with one story. It says, I'm just going to read it. Louis Pasteur, Louis Pasteur, the pioneer of immunology, lived at a time when thousands of people died each year of rabies. Check this out. Pasteur had worked for years on a vaccine. Just as he was about to begin experimenting on himself, a nine-year-old, Joseph Meister, was bitten by a rabid dog. The boy's mother begged Luis or Mr. Pasteur to experiment on her son. Pasteur injected Joseph for 10 days straight and the boy lived. Decades later, of all the things Pasteur could have had etched on his headstone, he asked for three words, Joseph Meister lived. Our greatest legacy will be those who live eventually because of our, our efforts. Our greatest legacy will be of those who live 
because of what we actually did. Amen. God bless you guys. Give to uh, Post-it Tams a hug. I'll see you guys later.